You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll talk about how God works in the midst of our pain and uses it to grow us into who we're meant to be. Let's get started. John chapter 21, beginning at verse number one, it says, and afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. And I want you to pay particular attention to the names uh, in the way that Peter is described. It says it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, um, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, and he said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple who Jesus loved, they're talking about John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And as soon as, notice this, Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. And he had jumped into the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So here it is again, Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. And it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, well, who are you? They they didn't dare ask him that. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread, gave it to them and Did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Notice the shift. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon Son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, here it is again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, well, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. I want to talk for a few minutes as we prepare to enter this new decade about life on another level, life on another level. Now, I don't know what your holiday customs or traditions are, and I know that there are many things that we do around this time. There are lots of ways that we prepare for um, the new year in particular. And regardless of what your particular customs are, one of the things that I like to do is I like to follow many of the publications that are put out articles and um, other things that are put out at the end of the year that kind of spend time talking about the year in review. 
You may be aware at, at the end of the year, there are numbers of publications. You can find them online or uh, in a variety of ways um, that they'll put out, you know, things about like, you know, the Associated Press's uh, male athlete of the year, uh, for an example, I think was LeBron James or maybe he was athlete of the decade. Or and then I think uh, Serena Williams was the uh, AP female athlete of the year. Uh, and I love to follow those kinds of things. I, I love um, to see how they rank movies. And sometimes these publications will say that this was, this was the top movie of the year, or this was the top song of the year, or this was the top artist of the year. As a matter of fact, Merriam-Webster, at the end of every year, they even put out the top word of the year. And, and I, I enjoy those things because what those things do is they encourage me to really Think about things like, what was my biggest takeaway from the year? Or what was the biggest lesson that I learned from the year? When I, when I see how people say, well, this was the best movie, or this was you know, the best event, or this was the, the best dish of the year, it makes me think about, well, what was my takeaway from the year? What, what was my biggest lesson or my biggest aha from this past year? And, and I want to share with you tonight that one of my biggest takeaways from this year, or one of the biggest lessons for me that, that I learned this year was um, something called the pain cave. The biggest takeaway for me, the biggest, one of the biggest lessons that I learned this year was I learned about something called the pain cave. Often in, in my gym, when we get to the hardest part of the workout, our trainers or, or even my workout partners and my brothers will yell out and say, we're in the pain cave now. And initially, I didn't really understand what they were talking about. And so I asked them about it. And I asked them, explain to me, um, what do you mean by the pain cave? And I learned that the pain cave happens when you are working out and you get to a place where your body is in so much pain that you feel like you got to tap out and quit. And I learned that, that great athletes and even regular people who go on to achieve their fitness goals, they understand that when you get to the pain cave, even though your body may feel like it wants to quit, that's actually the time to push harder. Because on the other side of the pain cave are the benefits and the results that you desire. See, what often happens is that many people will start a workout and then the pain sets in. And when they get to the pain cave, that's when they stop, that's when they give up, that, that's when they, they, they tap out. And, and I want to make sure that you don't miss any of this, so I'm going to take this headset off because it's going in and out on me. So tech team, let's do whatever we need to do. Tell your neighbor I can't miss this word. Amen. Can you hear me now? There we go. So this is what happens. Many people, many people will start a workout and then the pain sets in, right? That's when, that's when you're in the pain cave. And when you get to the pain cave, what many people will do is they'll stop, give up. And because of that, what happens is, watch this, the pain then becomes the lid on their fitness, on their health, on their performance, and, and ultimately, in many ways, on their life, meaning they never see the results they desire because they allow the pain to keep them at the same level. And the more that I experienced and even pushed through the pain cave this year in my own workouts, the more I started thinking about this concept. And I began to realize that, wait a minute, God has been teaching us about the pain cave long before it became a popular concept in athletics. For an example, in John 16 and 33, when Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble. Some translations say tribulation, but he goes on and says, but take heart because I've already overcome the world. He's talking about the pain cave. Or, or in James chapter 1 and verse 2 when it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What is James talking about? He's talking about the pain cave. See, the truth is that there are things that will happen in life, painful things, problematic things, unexpected things, things that will challenge us to our core. And when we come to the pain cave, we have to decide, are we going to give up and quit? Or are we going to push through and move forward? And I want you to hear me tonight. As it is in fitness, so it is in life. Your next level of living is on the other side of that pain cave. That, 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 that next level, we're talking about uh, life on another level. And we were singing a moment ago, I'm going to another level. Well, this next level, you must understand tonight, demands that you press in when it would be easier to quit and retreat. Now, you and I also must understand that God allows these um, pain cave experiences for particular reasons. Well, one of them is if you are an unbeliever, if you haven't accepted Jesus, part of the purpose of your particular pain caves is to show you that you need God. Kind of like the prodigal son who left and, and, and when he fell flat on his face and, and, and ran through all the money and had to uh, live in a pig's pen and eat the slop, it was then that he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My dad's got room for me. He's got, he's got stuff for me. Why in the world am I living this way? Part of the reason, if you're an unbeliever, that God will allow those kind of pain cave experiences is because he wants to bring you to the end of yourself. He, he wants you to have that kind of aha moment when you recognize that, that you by yourself is not an equation strong enough for the answer that you're seeking. That the only way that, that this thing is going to ever work is it cannot be you alone. It's got to be you and God. But if you are a believer, part of the purpose of the pain cave is to determine whether or not you will trust God with it. I need to say that again. If you are a believer, then God allows these particular pain cave experiences for a different reason. There are, there are painful things, problematic things, unexpected things that happen. And part of the purpose in God allowing them is because what he wants to know is, will you trust me with it? Why? Because God will never promote you beyond your tolerance for pain. Why? Because, because if the pain, the problem, the issue, if it causes you to give up and retreat, if it causes you to back away from God, if it causes you instead of pressing in to draw back, if it, if it causes you to say, God, I don't want to pray anymore, I don't want to worship anymore, if it causes you to put your life on kind of autopilot and you're no longer pressing in and seeking God and, and searching and hungering for him, if, if the pain and the problem causes you to get to that place, what you are communicating to God is in essence, I don't trust you with this. I don't, I don't trust that you can do anything with this. I don't, I don't trust, as difficult as it is, that you can get glory out of this. I don't, I don't trust. I don't trust that you can redeem this. And so this is why God will never promote you beyond your tolerance for pain. Because if the pain makes you shut down. The pain makes you give up on God and walk away. You're ultimately saying, God, this is bigger than you. See, there's a decision that has to be made if we are going to live life on another level. And that decision is, will we give up and retreat? Or will we press in and push through? This is what we find Peter in John chapter 21. This is, in fact... Where many of us find ourselves tonight, this is why this rhema word God wants you to hear before we move into this new decade. And it's really important. This is why I took my time early on to, to point out how Peter was being referenced. 
Because what I want you to, to see or what I hope you saw is that often Peter was not called Peter. He was called Simon Peter. And, and even when Jesus began to talk to him, Jesus didn't call him Simon Peter. Jesus called him Simon, son of John. The narrator, the narrator often would refer to him as Peter. But throughout that passage that we read, all of those verses, what I wanted you to see, and it was in red and it was underlined, is that the way that Peter was referred to was not Peter, it was Simon Peter. Or when Jesus called him, he called him Simon, son of John. Why is that important? Because Simon is the name that denotes his past. Peter is the name that denotes his future. And so the narrator uh, continues to say, Simon Peter, Simon Peter, why? Because what you find Peter in John 21 and where many of us are tonight is we've got one foot in the past. And we got one foot in the possibilities of what God wants to do in our future. But then Jesus comes along, and when Jesus speaks to him, he doesn't even say Simon Peter. He says Simon, son of John. He says it because he literally has some decisions to make. Jesus has spoken destiny and purpose over Peter. But, but right now, because of the pain, but because of the pain cave and the issues, he's gone backwards. And so Jesus doesn't even call him Simon Peter. He says Simon, son of John, because he's squarely dictated and controlled by his past instead of what God has for him on the horizon. And I'm talking to some of us tonight because you need to know that if you're going to live life on another level, it's going to demand, like Peter, that you make some decisions. And we were, we were dancing and shouting a moment ago, and maybe that's purposeful, Because maybe this word tonight is supposed to convict you more than shout you. Because God brought me here tonight to tell you that you do. Before you move into this next decade, you have some decisions to make. What do you mean, Bishop? Well, life on another level requires some things. What does it require? Number one, it requires a turn. Everybody say a turn. A turn. A turn. What do you mean a turn? The pain cave for Peter was the death of Jesus. And his denial of him. This is when you find him in John 21, one of the most painful and problematic and difficult times in Peter's life. Jesus, the Messiah that they have been waiting on, was just recently crucified. He never expected Jesus to go to the cross. This is why even when when he said, oh, I know who you are, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And even when Peter got a revelation and said, thou art the Christ, when Jesus started talking about the fact that he was going to have to go to the cross and be betrayed and ultimately crucified, Peter stands up and says, oh, oh, no, 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 sir. And Jesus has to turn around and say to him, get behind me, because your mind is, is on the things of man, not on the things of God. Why? Because Peter never expected, he didn't want it to happen this way for for, for Jesus to have to go to the cross and die. Peter never expected for Jesus to be betrayed by one of his own brothers. This is why when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is praying and and Judas comes and and, and brings those soldiers, Peter's like, "What, what are you doing? Draws the sword and he's ready to throw down because he just never expected things to go down this way and so the 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 pain cave for Peter is that Jesus was crucified Jesus was betrayed by by one of their own brothers and to make matters worse after he was arrested Peter got so afraid that the same Peter who said I'll never betray you the same Peter that said I'll never deny you The same Peter who said, hey, well, if you got to die, I'm going to go to die with you, was hiding around the fire, shielding his face. And there was a little girl who said, wait, wait, wait a minute. Weren't you with him? And in many ways, the Bible almost suggests that Peter begins to start cussing. I wasn't with him. No, wait wait a minute. I've seen you before. You've been with him. Woman, I said... I don't know him. No, no, I hear what you're saying. But you look familiar. Bleep, 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 woman. I said, I don't know him. 
And so Peter now in John 21, because of the death, because of the betrayal, because of the denial, out of fear, out of hurt, out of embarrassment, out of discouragement, maybe even a little bit of, of depression, he says, I'm done. He says, I'm done. After three and a half years of, of, of living with Jesus, dedicating his life to him because he was hurt, because he gets in this pain cave and things begin to happen that he wasn't prepared for. He says, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to go back fishing. And, and it's really interesting and important to note that none of the other disciples around Peter wanted to go fishing until he said, I'm going fishing. See, part of the reason that, that some of you tonight have got to make this right decision about whether or not you're going to trust God and live life on another level is because it is not just about you. you. You have people that you may not even know who are looking at you and following your example, and they are waiting to see how you handle these difficulties because that will be the greatest message you ever preach to them. Not what you say, but what you do in the pain cave. And let me just uh, pause here since, since I'm here. For those of you that's got a quitting spirit, those of you that have a quitting spirit, for those of you who, who, who can easily say, that's all right, I don't need all of this, Not, no more drama, all of the cliche stuff that we use as excuses to give up and retreat instead of trust God and press in. For, for those of you that are there, let me just go ahead and say this to you. If you do decide to go back, if you do decide to abandon God's purpose and will for your life, you must understand that it will not be fruitful. I, I need to tell you tonight that if you decide to go backwards, it's not going to be productive. Purpose is so powerful. That even when you begin to, to tiptoe into the very beginnings of God's will for your life, if, if you start down that road and then retreat and give up and go backwards, purpose is so powerful that it will remove the ability to find joy and to be productive when you go back to old stuff that used to be meaningful in your life. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you tried to go back to an old set of friends or tried to go back to an old behavior and it just doesn't feel the way it used to feel. That's because purpose is so powerful that God says, once you start on this road with me, what I will do is I'll remove the very taste of that out of your mouth. This is why Peter then goes fishing and he fishes all night and he can't catch anything. And I love it. Jesus just stands on the shore. He just watches them. He just watches them. He's just standing there. He's, he's just... Oh, I'm trying to get through this, but I hear the, uh, the Lord saying, see, some of you even think that God's ability to allow you to go back, did you think that's a sign? Oh, it's a sign. It's a sign. It's a sign. Because if God didn't want me to go back to him or go back to it, he would have shut that door. No, sometimes God will allow you to go back and allow you to fall flat on your face and fish all night and not find anything and just be standing on the shore because he loves you and say, that's my baby. But man, she is messing up right now. Jesus just stands on the side, and I love it, I love it, I love it. He says, uh, hey, how y'all doing with that? You caught any fish? They said, no, we're going to come back to that in a second. But here's what I want you to say. See, he says, throw your net, here it is, on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And it says when they, when they did, they were unable to haul in the net. This is John 21 and 6. Because of the large number of fish. So get this. Breakthrough is on the other side of the boat. I, I, I need you to see this. The difference between nothing and everything is just the width of the boat. You missed it. The difference between not enough and more than enough is just the width of the boat. But, but, but he has to physically turn his body. Huh. And, and when he physically turns his body to the side where the fish are 
at the same time that he's physically turning his body to that side, he's also turning his back to some things as well. You missed it. You missed it. Jesus says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And in order for them to get the other side blessing, the next level, they got to not just turn their body, but in their turning their body, they're literally turning their back to some stuff as well. What am I trying to teach you? This is a picture of what real change and what real transformation and what real repentance looks like. You don't just turn to the greater thing. You've also got to turn your back to the old things. See, see, part of the reason that we miss this is because often what we say is we say things like, I'm sorry or my bad. When God begins to deal with us on stuff, but we never turn. And so we say, God, I'm sorry, or God, I want to do better, or God, I want another year, or God, I want to have a different decade, or God, I want to take my family in a different direction, but there's no turning. And so if there's no turning, you can say sorry all day, or you can make every list of resolutions, but if you don't turn your back to some stuff, there will be no real change. Okay, okay, okay. I think I explained it to you. Um, Romans 12, Paul says it this way. He says, um, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, then, then, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. That word transform literally means metamorphosis. What is metamorphosis? That's what happens when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and then emerges as a butterfly. That's metamorphosis. When a caterpillar wraps itself in the cocoon and when it comes out, it is not a better version of the caterpillar. When it comes out of the cocoon, it is a totally different animal. In order for the caterpillar to become the butterfly, the caterpillar has got to turn his back on all things caterpillar-like. When he emerges as a butterfly, that old life is over. What, what am I trying to tell you? So, so many of us, we have, we have butterfly dreams, but we have a caterpillar mindset. We, we have butterfly goals, but we have a caterpillar attitude. And you cannot do both. There has to be a turn. Oh, I wish y'all would get this. Are y'all with me? Let me give it to you another way. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 says it this way. It says that you got to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your mind and then put on your new self created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. There has to be a putting off before there can be a putting on. Boy, y'all kind of quiet. Let me talk to y'all over here. There has to be putting off before there can be a putting on. Y'all not with me either. Let me talk, talk to y'all up here. There has to be a putting off before there can be a putting on. You do not go into your favorite department store to buy a new coat because you need maybe a winter coat for, for nights like this. You do not go into your, your favorite department store to get a new coat and you find one on the rack and you want to try it on and you go into the dressing room. You don't put on the new coat over the old one that you wore to get into the store. You, you missed it. You missed it. You missed it. If you're going to try on the new coat, it means you got to take that old thing off, set it aside and say, let me wear this and see if it compliments me. What am I trying to tell you? What are you going to put off? What are, what are you, you going to put off in order to put on the new? What, what is it? Literally, what are you going to stop doing? If you're going to turn, what are you going to turn your back to? And if you don't know the answer to that question, you got homework to do. As you step into this new decade, because literally you ought to have an understanding. I, I, got, I cannot, I can't keep doing that. That's the left side of the boat. I've got to turn my back because there's breakthrough. There's another level that he has for me. But if I'm going to turn to it, I got to turn my back to some stuff. Look at somebody and tell them there has to be a turn. But then there also has to be transparency. Yeah, there has to be transparency. I want to show this to you. Go back to John 21 and verse 7. The follower whom Jesus loved says to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Peter heard him say this, watch this. 
He wrapped his coat around himself. I love this version. It says, because Peter had taken his clothes off and he jumped into the water. What I want you to see is that Peter jumps into the water and swims to Jesus without any clothes on. His clothes, he literally wraps around himself and he jumps in. And this is important because this whole notion of clothing and covering literally represents hiding from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, when sin entered the world and shame and all of that stuff that, that sin brings, when it came into the world because of what they did, it says that they sold fig leaves together and started covering themselves. And when God comes walking through the garden saying, Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? And, and they said, well, we were hiding because we were naked. God says, well, who told you you were naked? Where, where, where is this, all this hiding stuff? It, it comes from this notion that I got to cover up. And much of the interactions that Peter had had with Jesus before John 21, that's what he was doing. He was hiding. He was hiding. He was hiding behind the desire to be, to be the top disciple, the top dog. He was hiding behind the desire for everybody to know his name. He was hiding behind the desire to have his agenda and for things to go the way he wanted them to go. But, but now he's at a place where he's naked. And I want you to understand that this is where God wants you to be. See, so many of us, we try to approach God and we approach him as though we're hiding. In our prayer time, in our walk with him, in our worship, the way we do life with God, often we do it hiding. And you need to know that God sees where you are and what you're going through. But what hiding will do is hiding will prevent you from really connecting with God the way that God wants to connect with you. So when Peter takes off his clothes and when he jumps in the water to swim to Jesus, this is possibly the most honest and the most transparent he's been before Jesus. I, I really believe that a part of the reason Jesus stood on the side for so long and allowed him to fish all night and not find anything was because he was trying to allow him to take all of that pseudo stuff off. And for some of us, this year has been that. We have been pushing our own agenda, doing it our own way. And God has just been saying, okay, I'm going to let you run with that. Because you, you haven't taken off the mask yet. And, and I'm going to let you try to do the marriage on your own. And let's see how far that gets. I'm going to try to let you push your agenda your way. And, and you keep hitting the wall. And, and let's see how far you get with that. I, I'm, I'm going to let you try to handle the hurt and just stuff it down. And just, you know, uh, keep telling people you're good when you're really not good. But you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to acknowledge it. Let me see how far you get with that. Because when, you, when you're on that path and you keep trying to do it your way, you will get to a point where the mask, the titles, None of that matters anymore, and you're literally naked. And that's when God says, that's what I've been waiting on. I've been waiting on you to take off all of that stuff. And I'm here to tell you, I really believe that when Peter started taking those clothes off, I think he was taking shame off. I think he was taking embarrassment off. I think he was taking fear off. I think he was taking guilt off. And when, and when that disciple said, it's Jesus, he said, finally, because I don't care. At this point, I need him more than I need my title. I need him more than I need my ego stroke. I need him more than I need people to see who I am and pat me on the back. And when you're in that place, you can really connect with God. I love it, what, what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6 and verse 5, even when talking about prayer. He says that when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All of these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think that God sits in a box seat? He says, here's what I want you to do. He says, find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can imagine. And the focus will start to shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. What am I trying to tell you? Grace cannot be applied to the places we hide. What, what, is, what is grace? Grace is the love of God, the favor of God. It's, it's, it's God pouring himself out on us even when we don't deserve it. But, but, but grace can't be applied to the places you hide. 
You need to know that Jesus went to the cross and gave up his life for the real you, not the pseudo you, not the fake you, the real you, the toe up from the flow up, wretched, ratchet you. And I got three amens because a lot of us, we've been wearing the mask so long, we're not even in tune with our ratchetness. Yes, you are ratchet. Yes, you do have a stank attitude. Yes, you can get in your own way sometimes. Yes, your ego can get out of control sometimes. Yes. And Jesus didn't go to the cross for the fake you, pseudo you, made up you. How are you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. No, you ain't. He saw you driving to church tonight. He knows the thoughts that you're thinking right now. But he wants grace to be applied right there. When you go to the doctor, the first thing the doctor says is, what's wrong? Tell me what's wrong. Open your mouth. Say, ah, let me see you. Because only then can the doctor prescribe what you need. He has what you need. But as long as you stay hidden, he, he can't apply it. There's, there's this guy I was talking about at the gym earlier. There's this guy at the gym who's like, you know, I mean, in many ways, kind of like a CrossFit hero. He's been doing CrossFit much longer than I have. And, you know, I go to the 5 a.m. and he comes to the 6 and, and he's always getting after it. And he's always giving me pointers on how I can do things better and, you know, how I can learn better techniques and all this other kind of stuff. And he's, you know, telling me about his diet. And he's like, man, if you want to rip up, you know, you got you to gotta take calories down. He's telling me all of this stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm getting ready to go to the next level, and I'm going to compete. And he's telling me all of this. But then over the holidays, I come into the gym one day, and I see him walking like this. And I, and I say, hey, man, what's, what's going on? He was like, yeah, I just, I, just, I just had surgery. I was like, really? He said, yeah, yeah, I had to. He said, things got so bad. And he said, and to be honest with you, he said, I was bleeding for years he said and I didn't want to tell the doctor because I was too embarrassed he said but it got so bad until I had to have surgery he said but guess what the doctor told me once I recover from the surgery now I'll really be able to put on the muscle that I've been trying to put on all these years you missed it he's shooting for something for all of this time but it can't happen because he won't be open and transparent. But the moment that he was forced to say, doctor, this is where I'm bleeding. Doc, this is where I'm hurting. The doctor says, now I can fix you. And now that goal that you have for your family can really come to fruition. Now that goal that you have for your career can really be made manifest. Now that goal can really happen. If you're going to live life on another level, there has to be a turn. There has to be transparency. But there has to be a greater level of trust. I love it when Jesus is standing on the shore and he calls out to them. He says, hey, hey, friends, have you caught any fish? And you could tell the attitude in their response. It's like, no. I love it. I love it. And then he says, well, if you, if you, if you make that turn, throw your net on the right side of the boat, you know, there are some. And then they, the Bible says they bring in this huge haul. And then he says, getting closer to the shore, he says, hey, why don't you bring some of the fish that you just caught? We got to deal with this. Fishing was Peter's profession. He had a Ph.D. in fishing. That was the family business. He had skill in fishing. He had a gift to fish. But his skill and his gift didn't get him that catch. Your skill and your gift is not going to get you to this next level. Only God is. But watch this. The reason that Jesus tells them to bring some of the fish that they, that they just caught is because he wants to settle once and for all what they can accomplish on their own versus what they can do through him. On their own. They've been fishing all night long and they were not able to catch anything on their own. That's, that's the sum total of their efforts, their Ph.D. gift skill anointed fishing. Nothing. Then God says, all right, all right, I, I had to tell you to turn and throw your net on the other side of the boat so that you can see that cut off from me, you can't do anything. 
But just to remind you and just to settle this once and for all, I want you to bring some of those fish that you caught. They were live. Now they're dead. They got to clean the fish. They got to scale, descale. They got to clean and gut and ultimately cook the fish if they are going to do anything with them. But Jesus says, I want you to bring that big net ashore. And what does he have waiting on them when they get there? He's got fish that's already been cleaned. He's got fish that's already been deboned and descaled. It is, he's like saltan. He's like, what you want? You want fried? You want uh, a la king? You want salted? I mean, it is on the coals and it is cooking and it is ready. And what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to see the difference. I, I, I want you to see the difference. I want you to see the level of work that's involved when you have to do it your way. And I want you to see that that steel, with all your gift, with all your skill, that still pales in comparison to what I have for you. Everything that they have been working hard all night long to get, Jesus already had. He, he already had for them. And, and, what's, and what's so significant about this that I want you to see is that we're talking about Peter, y'all. We're talking about Peter. I mean, he was in Jesus' inner circle. This is the Peter that went to the mountain of transfiguration. This is the Peter that when all of the other disciples said, you, you're, you're John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, Peter had the revelation and said, no, you are the Christ. This is Peter that Jesus is having to do this lesson with, saying, man, you keep trying to push your own agenda. Look at where it's taken you. But everything you've gone after, it's been here waiting on you if you did it my way. He's doing this to Peter. And why is this important? Because here's the problem with Peter, and it's the same problem that many of us have. Peter trusted Jesus with some things. But he didn't trust Jesus with everything. That this is the same problem that, that many of us have. We, we, we may trust God with some things but we won't trust him with everything we'll trust him with, with maybe this but then all of this other stuff we're still uh toiling thinking that our gift and our skill and our ingenuity is going to be the answer so in essence what what jesus is saying to, to peter is that if we're gonna uh, get you to this next level we need to settle this right now and the Lord brought me here to tell you tonight, if you're going to move into this next decade on purpose, if you're going to embrace everything that God has for you, we have got to settle this right now. Are you going to trust God? Not with pieces. With everything. Je Jesus even, even has Peter come to the fire. K come here, sit down. I want you to eat some of this fish. Where? Around this fire. Why? Because the last time you were around the fire, you were trying to do it your way, and you were fussing and cussing, telling people that you didn't know me. So, so, so I, I, want you to, I want you to see that when you do it my way and you trust me, you don't have to lie, and you don't have to run in fear, because I've got a table set for you when you trust me and do it my way. we got to settle this tonight. Before the stroke of midnight. Will you trust him with everything? Not some things. Everything. Will you trust him with your marriage? All of it. Will you trust him with your money? All of it. Will you trust him with your children? Will you trust him with that stuff that gets on your nerves, that hurt that you've been carrying for so long? Thank you, Lord. As a matter of fact, I want to read this to you. I got to hurry up, but I hope I'm not boring you. Y'all with me? I'm, I'm going to read this to you. I got this the other day, not too long ago, and worship's in a family. You know how I'll do if I share ter uh, testimonies. I don't, um, I don't read names, so I'm not going to tell you who this is from, but I want you to hear this. She said, Bishop, I trusted God with my finances until I didn't have any. She said, I started tithing in the midst of my unemployment, and I watched him make my two pieces of fish and my five loaves of bread be enough to maintain a household of three for almost two months. This is my testimony. Today, I officially started my career with an amazing law firm who saw my value and potential when others didn't. And today, on my first day, the firm gave me a Christmas bonus of, I'm not going to tell you the amount of money, but it's a nice sum of money. It's a nice little change. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
But watch this. Here's the kicker. That is almost double what I've tithed since August. I'm so incredibly happy and beyond grateful for what God is doing in my life. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it. And they go on to say, and I encourage everyone to take the tithing challenge and trust the Lord. But here's the kicker. It took me 13 years of membership to finally step out on faith. And she says that I will never doubt again. Now, here's the point. Many of you all are clapping for her breakthrough. Praise God for that. The point of me reading that is not to point out the breakthrough. The point of me reading this to you is that she said it took her 13 years. And we can't shout right here. 13 years of me preaching. 13 years of me teaching the word of God. 13 years. Why? Because she trusted God with some things. But she didn't trust him with everything. See, the reason for some of us that there's been no traction, no movement, no breakthrough in certain areas of our lives is because those are the areas that you haven't trusted God in yet. And some of you, you're sitting here and you're wondering, how is this next decade going to be any different? Real simple. Are you going to trust him with that? Because God is not interested in you going through the motions and you carrying the same hurt, the same disappointment, the same frustration and living life at the same level. God says, no, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But you got to trust me with that. You got to give me that and stop carrying it around. Stop nursing it. Stop rehearsing it. Know that breakthrough is real, but you can't see it and have it if you won't trust him. We're going to live life on another level. There has to be a turn. We, we've got to trust him. We, we, we've, got, we've got to make sure. Oh, thank you, Lord. That, that in everything that we do, we're saying, God, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's never the less not my will, but your will be done. And here's the last thing I'll give you. We have to be teachable. We, we have to be teachable. We have to be teachable. At the end of all of this, after Peter's eaten and he's, he's full and he's, he's good to go, Jesus says, now, let me talk to you for a second. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Take care of my lambs. Do you love me? And that little attitude, that, that, that kind of cussing spirit, Started to rise up, and you could tell it. He says, well, Lord, you know everything. It's a little attitude, you know. I mean, I mean, why are you asking me? He's getting a little upset. He says, okay, if you love me, take care of my sheep. And then here's the key in verse 18. He says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, and this is not about age. This is about spiritual maturity. He says, when you were younger, here it is, you dressed yourself. And you went where you wanted. But when you are old, when you grow spiritually, he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to stretch out your hands. And somebody else is going to dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He's saying, Peter, up until this point, you've been driving your own agenda. You've been pushing what you wanted. And that's where, that's where so many of us find ourselves. God, I want this. I got to have it this time. I want it this way. God, I want this kind of person. Or I want to be in this kind of situation. Or I want to be at this kind of station in life. But here's what God brought me here to tell you as we get ready to move into this new decade. That way of living leads to unnecessary struggle and difficulty. See, there's a big difference between being driven and being led. Some of us don't know the difference. When you're driven, you're pushing your own agenda. And when you're driven, you end up living an inverted gospel. Jesus tells the disciples, come follow me. But when you live an inverted gospel because you're driven, you push your own agenda and you ask God to follow you. 
may be too much for y'all tonight, but I'm trying to give you this word from the Lord. When, when you are driven and you're not led, you begin to push your own agenda, and, and you simply ask God to follow. This is what I want. Now, God, you bless it. No, 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 no. But here's the problem. You don't know where you're going. God has the plan. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. You didn't make that plan. God has the plan. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You don't have the plan. God does. And when you keep driving your own agenda and trying to push your own plan, you end up getting into difficult territory and having unnecessary drama. Why? Because you don't know where you're going. How many of you have been blessed by the worship center in some way, shape, or form? Just lift your hand. If you're not asleep yet, just lift. let me see by a show of hands if, you, if this ministry in any way, shape, or form has added value to your life. I want you to look around and see the hands that are up. Now, here's the point that I want you to see. This almost never happened. People that said, this ministry has blessed me over the years. Whether you're here as a guest or whether you, you know, are in town and this used to be your church before you moved. I want you to understand that this, never, this, this almost never happened. Why? Because my agenda? I'm not trying to offend nobody. But my agenda was not Birmingham. That wasn't my agenda. Nothing wrong with the ham. I love it here. Don't want to be anyplace else. But this was not my agenda. My agenda and my goal was someplace else. And for so many years, I was frustrated and mad. God, why aren't you letting it happen? And I was fasting and praying and anointing everything and speaking those things that are not as though they are. And the door never opened. I want y'all to hear me because that was my agenda. I was fasting and speaking tongues and sprinkling oil, going to every conference like, hey, it's going to happen right now. I declare it and decree it. And another year went by and it didn't happen. Why? Because I was pushing my agenda. And it was not until God brought me to the end of myself and I, in tears and, and in everything else, said, God, I'm done driving. I want to be led. You tell me where you want me to go. You show me what you want me to do. It was almost as if as soon as that prayer came from my heart and the words came off of my lips, my phone started ringing. Stuff started unfolding. One thing led to another and another and another and another. And in 2019, we up in here tonight. Because I stopped trying to drive. And instead, I said, God, I want to be led. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.